The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Rebel Podcast, P8. Elder P, Wetsy, Knobs and Dials, and Garage Mahal. How you doing today, Nate? Well, we're all here. The whole team's here. It's a sunny day. We're in Garage Mahal. I mean, life is pretty good. The gang is The gang is all here. The you're, gang is all here. You're healing well from your Tommy? Tommy um, John, yeah, it's healing well. It's, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, getting uh, uh, all of this stuff off so my arm can be free again. I can start all the rehab stuff, but uh, yeah, can, we're here. Can I just confess, I love doing the podcast because sometimes I feel, even though we work together, I feel like sometimes we don't get a lot of time to talk. And so the podcast is like, oh, we get to just chat for a bit. Like, <laughs> and it's not like we've ever planned out what we're talking about anyway. So That's true. It is just sort of like, hey, do you want to talk about this when we go in today? Um, <laughs> yeah. We're like two ships passing the night, Pootie. Sometimes. Sometimes. I know. All right. Well, we're in this little mini series, and so we want to jump right into it because I think this has been helpful to people. I think that there's a lot of marriages in our church, but a lot of marriages in the Christian church in general is, as I think God, through his spirit, is bringing a renewed desire to see biblical masculinity and femininity restored, which starts with marriage. So one of the things that we haven't maybe said as much as we should is that at the end of the day, the household of households, the church, is only ever as strong as the families that comprise it. And at the heart of every family is a marriage. And so when we are looking at Christendom and we are looking at the culture around us, remember that culture is the report card of the church. As goes the church, so goes the culture. And so when we look at the culture just full of bad marriages, we have to ask the question, why? I think there are far too many dysfunctional and unhealthy marriages in the church. And so part of this miniseries is really just trying to be of help to our own people and, and whoever else finds help by it. We're looking to be able to be of help to families who are sitting there going, okay, I see that we're after strong marriages, we're after strong families, we're after strong men and capable women, and so where do we go about doing this? So first episode, we kind of talked big idea of marriage. Last week, we talked about mission. This week, we're going to talk about sex. Now, I think that, let me just start by saying, I think that we have done a disservice in the church. I'm not talking about our church, I mean Big C Church in not talking enough about a biblical understanding of sex and not equipping young people to think biblically about sex. Sex seems to be that thing in the church that everybody talks about it in the culture ad nauseum. It's it's over, obviously over-talked about, over-glorified, over-emphasized in the culture. And so our, our sort of reaction in the church is an ungodly one, and that is let's just not talk about it. We flee from it from a, a probably a, even a good desire originally of like trying not to fall into sexual immorality. Yep. So, but the problem is that we then create almost a, an idol that it's bad and it's good. Like, and right. then and then we create this weird culture of like having to reconvince people that it's actually a God given gift when they get married because you know 
particularly young women are told like, that's, this is terrible. It's dirty. It's gross. It's like, you don't want until they get, and then all of a sudden married, the husband's like, let's go. And she's like, I, I feel this feels weird to me. Like, yeah, it's funny you say that. Like I'm doing a bunch of pre-marriage counseling right now because we're getting into wedding season. And uh, it's one of the things that I, I talk about. One of the whole sessions is on sex. And one of the first things that I say is that there's a shift coming that you are both going to take very differently, right? So you go from junior high and youth group and all that. It's like sex is bad. It's wrong. It's dirty. Don't do it. To sex is good. It's great. Go do it. And that switch gets flipped very easily for men. <laughs> Surprisingly. Not so much for women, though. And so it's you have- more like a muzzle off. Right? <laughs> like- so, so for a woman, that shift where for 18 or 20 years, or 25 years or however long until she gets married, she's been told it's bad, it's dirty, don't do it, to it's good, it's great, go do it. That's a much more difficult transition for her. And I think part of that happens because that Titus II woman who teaches her younger women in the church to love her domestic duties, this is part of that. But they haven't been taught well. And so that whole idea like that mothers and grandmothers used to prepare their daughters and their granddaughters for the wedding night and for a sexually intimate relationship and all that kind of stuff, it just doesn't happen anymore because more and more we rely on the culture and sex ed classes in in school and all that kind of stuff to equip our kids for decisions about sex. No wonder sex is a mess in the church. Yeah. You said it like we use a... Like sex ed curriculum, but even Christians, we have this tendency to outsource this. There's a plethora. I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm not saying they're not useful tools, but there's like, there's a ton of like even videos and like DVDs that people can watch to have the talk. Yeah. And it's like, if you're thinking this through as like, it's a one-time talk, you've missed, you've You've missed missed the the point, right? Like we say this all the time on the podcast. This is like one of your famous like little lines is tell the better story. Yeah. And the problem here is that we've we've lost the ability to tell the better story of what waiting until marriage actually means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which means you can, as a young person, I know this is going to be very difficult. You can look forward to the time that you can do this and not be caught just, up by your loss. Yeah. And and, and yeah. also, but also just not like just completely never talk about it. Never have a never right. have a thing. I'm not saying you should go home and have like sex talk every night with your kids or anything, but tell the better story. Tell them why they should wait till they're married, why they should do it as God intended, because it's actually better. Yeah. Doug Wilson has a great line, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to butcher it. But basically, he says that the culture has done to sex what chewing with your mouth open does to food, right? Which is a great line, right? So the idea is like, picture like a glorious rare steak or something like that, that just looks like the cross hatching is perfect. It's cooked perfectly. You know, you got the side of mashed potatoes and the veggies or whatever, and you cut into that steak and a little bit of blood seeping out onto the, the plate. It's just perfect. And you take a bite of it and then you chew with your mouth open and it looks grotesque to the person across from you, right? That's what the culture has done to sex by chewing with its mouth open. The idea is that sex is everywhere in the culture and it has made it look like something it was never intended to be, right? So tell that better story, like you say. So obviously, we're not going to actually spend any time really talking to the pre-married people about waiting and all that kind of stuff. Yes, that's all there. That's good. Maybe we can do an episode on that some other time. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about marriage. So we're talking to the couples who are married. So now what we want to say to you is that your sexual relationship is of the utmost importance. Yeah. I remember when I was a young man first saved, one of the gentlemen who was like around me at the time, like discipling, we were at a retreat. I remember it being in the like the bunk room or whatever. And and 
he made a comment about basically, I can't, can't wait to get home to see my wife. And then somebody else, not me, just asked him a question about being married. And he said, and it's always stuck with me. He said, sex is a massive deal. Even though you spend 99% of your time not doing it, it's only about one, he's like 1% of your time together is going to be having sex. But that 1% is probably the most important hmm. of the time that you spend together. I can't remember how he specifically went into that, but his basic point was like, intimacy is the one time where you like, one, you physically become one flesh. Yep. And so he's like, all of the tensions, all the relational things that can get built up can't be built up when you're having that moment. All of those barriers, all of those walls do get torn down if it's being done properly. And like, That's right. And again, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he basically was like, for the man, most of the time, like men are physical, we're wired to be aggressive, to take lead. And that's typically the man in, in a bedroom. And so he gets respect as she reciprocates what he's that's doing. Right. And a woman is wired to feel love and, and tenderness. And that and she gets that if it's done properly in the bedroom as well. And so like it's one time where both hearts are singing at the same time together. And it, like a beautiful picture if you're doing it that way. And it's just the idea of like even though it's only 1% of the time, it becomes not the foundation, because that's obviously Christ, but like it becomes something that only you two have together that no one else in the world interferes with. Well, that's a great point that we just don't think about enough, right? So you are given two parents, right? You're given two sets of grandparents. You're given siblings. You're given friends. You're given cousins. You're given all uh, you of might these have, various... You might have yeah. five kids, 10 kids. Yeah, all of these things are, are in multiplications and, and it's great, but you're meant to have one wife or one husband forever, right? Like that's the design of marriage. Sin has come in and, and marred that and broken that and there is infidelity. There's such thing as biblical divorce and remarriage, all that stuff. We're not getting into that right now but you are given a husband or a wife forever and of all the relationships friendships employee employer relationships mother to daughter mother to son father to daughter like you are given multiple relationships in your life god blesses you with an intricate web of relational affiliations and that's a blessing it's called community it's awesome but only one relationship in the entire world is given the gift of sex and that's the husband and the wife and number one, what is the purpose of marriage? According to Ephesians 5, the purpose of marriage is to become one flesh and to be sanctified, right? And so if God is going to use primarily more than anybody else in your entire life, your spouse to sanctify you, then think about what that's saying. God is going to use, I'll just use you as an example, Chris. God is going to use Chris as an instrument in his hands to mold and to shape Heather into the woman of God that he is calling her to be. And God is going to use Heather as an instrument in his hands to sanctify Chris, to mold and shape him into the man of God that he's calling you to be. And so sanctification is not always an easy process. In fact, oftentimes it's a difficult process. It, it involves confronting sin. It involves repentance. It involves changing of habits. It involves all kinds of various things. So if your spouse is going to be used by God as an instrument in his hands to sanctify you, that's going to be a relationship that's going to cause tension. Being used as a sanctifying agent in the life of someone else 
creates tension. And so knowing that that's the primary relationship that God is going to use to shave off the rough edges of one another, God gives this beautiful gift that is meant to be the great equalizer, the great thing that brings the relational intimacy, the relational closeness, the love and the respect that helps supersede all of the small tensions created by being an, a sanctifying agent in the life of someone else. Mm-hmm. So sex is a massive deal. I would also just say that sex is one of those things that God has given in order to make men men and women women. So there's actually something that God does in frequent covenantal sex that actually helps men become more masculine and women become more feminine, right? So men who have more frequent sex actually develop greater testosterone. This is just scientifically, we know this. And this is really, really interesting Men who have frequent covenantal sex acquire more and more testosterone. Men who frequently masturbate watching pornography have less and less testosterone. Hmm. So it's not like it's just connected with ejaculation. It's actually there's something about the connection of a marital relationship and the frequency of sex that actually creates testosterone in men, whereas the opposite is true for the digital harem of pornography. And I think that that's actually a really just helpful in, in our basic understanding. But what I mean by that is that when you think about sex, first of all, the first thing to do is to understand that it's never going to be the same thing to a husband and a wife. They are different. God has created us differently. Is it any wonder that sex is different for men and women? For men, sex is like a physical appetite. It's like eating, right? You get hunger pains (laughs) when you haven't eaten in a long time, and your physical appetite is satisfied by eating. Same thing with sex. It is, is primarily, it is a physical thing. Man's arousal begins at, you know, arousal and finishes with climax, whereas a woman's arousal begins in the bedroom and ends when the child graduates college, <laughs> right? Like, they're, because, because men are designed to nurture life, and so their sexual appetite is, is very, very different. It's relationally connected. It's an emotional and spiritual. I often say in premarriage counseling that for men, sex is like eating a good meal when you're hungry. And for women, it's like crying at the end of a really good movie, right? It's a very different experience for two people. For him, it's satisfying a physical appetite. For her, it's satisfying an emotional appetite. So therein lies the first tension that can be created in the sexual relationship. And there's, there's plenty of them. First, we could talk ad nauseum about the sexual baggage that we come into the relationship with, right? Sex is very different for men and women, and they get bombarded with the propaganda of the world in very different ways. But one of the, the first tensions that's worth chatting about is the idea that in order to have sex, women need to feel relationally connected, right? It's why men have a much easier time and have to fracture their psyche a whole lot less to engage in hookup culture than women actually do, right? Mm-hmm. So, so women have to feel relationally and emotionally connected in order to desire to have sex, whereas men need to have sex in order to feel relationally and emotionally connected. So you can see where there's already tension being created. So a marriage that is not having frequent sex, you have two people who are agitated for different reasons and they don't know why. For him, he feels agitated because the physical appetite of sex hasn't been satisfied and he's ready and raring to go whenever she is. 
Whereas for her, she's discontent because she doesn't feel relationally connected, which is why she doesn't want to have sex. And so he wants to have sex so that he will feel emotionally connected. She wants to feel emotionally connected so that she can have sex. And there is the catch 22 as to why frequency of sex begins to run out. Yeah. You said, you said something that's profound there. (laughs) Men are ready whenever they're just ready to go whenever she's ready. And I would say like that right there is kind of where the first like little lie that the the enemy uses to like break this up there. How many men have you heard be like, I'm ready all the time. Whenever she taps me on the shoulder, I'm ready to go in coach. Exactly. And it's like, no, no, you've You've missed the point because Yes, you are ready to go, which means you need to pursue her all the time. Like 1 Corinthians talks about, I think it's 1 Corinthians 7, where it talks about like, don't neglect the conjugal rights. And like, don't deprive one another. Exactly. And like, unless you're actually dedicating that time to the Lord, which is an interesting thing. Like the idea of there is, yes, we all know men, most of us like, let's go. We know that like, if it's just tapping you on the shoulder, that's not going to succeed. Right. Because the women respond to the emotional connection, which means men, to get the thing we want, you need to be willing to engage in the in the emotional part of it, which is intentionality, yeah. which is pursuit, which is take her on dates, listen to her, talk to her, be with her, be intimate with her before intimacy actually happens. That's right. Stoke um, the fire is, is the <laughs> phrase I always say, right? Like it, that, it For some reason, that sounds way dirtier than like, you, like <laughs> well, but so I know he, what you mean though. Yeah, like, and here's the thing that I just want to say. So I don't know who listens to our podcast in terms of demographics and stuff like that. We should probably look into that at some point so we know who's listening. We just know there's a good number of people and so we keep doing it. But if there are kids who are listening to this episode, probably maybe not the episode for you because I do want to be helpful and practical to married couples. We're not going to get explicit or dirty or anything no. here, but I do want to give good and practical practical advice. Men, you know that when your wife is bending over to grab a pot out of the cupboard or whatever like that, your sexual appetite can be turned on immediately, right? Like you can, you can just see her in a certain way. You can whatever. It doesn't work like that for women. They don't just, as much as you wish it was true, you don't carry the heavier gro- set of groceries in for her and flex your bicep and she's ready and raring to go. It's, it doesn't work that yeah, way yeah. with women. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that women aren't, aren't physically and sexually attracted to their husbands. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that it's a different experience for each of you because men and women are, surprise, different. But what you can do to kind of stoke the fire because what she is wired to respond to is feeling pursued. And so when she does bend over for that pot, verbalize it. That doesn't mean you just give her a smack on the bum or, or whatever. It's, it's just to say, hon, I'm really attracted to you right now, right? Like, I, like hey, I, I would be totally ready to go right now. Like, I, hey, I, I'm going to come find you later. You know, like, whatever. Like, be flirty. Talk to your wife. Tell her what turns you on so that she feels wanted. She feels desired. She feels pursued. The least attractive thing a husband can do is just say, I'm ready to go whenever. So just tap me on the shoulder when you're ready. She will never be ready until, until, and this is what happens. This is how bad our sexual relationships get. This is what will happen. She knows 1 Corinthians 7 just as well as you do. It's good for a man to have his wife and we ought not to deprive one another. And so what will happen is you know you've communicated to her, oh, I'm ready to go whenever, so just tap me on the shoulder. And she's not tapping you on the shoulder until she feels guilty that she hasn't tapped you on the shoulder. And so a birthday rolls around, your anniversary rolls around, she feels obligated to have sex with you, and you guys have bad sex because she's doing it out of obligation. She doesn't feel pursued, and then you're both discouraged. 
far better is for you to stoke the fires and understand how God created her sexuality, make her feel pursued, make her feel desired, make her feel loved, and then your sexual intimacy doesn't come out of sort of that guilty obligation, but it comes from you giving her what she needs and she giving you what you need. There's sort of, I would call them two sexual virtues. So you talked about one of them in 1 Corinthians 7, and I would say that's the, the virtue of self-sacrifice, right? That there is, there is a time when it says, you know, uh, it's good for a man to have his wife, it's good for a wife to have her man, don't deprive one another, the man doesn't have rights over his own body, but the woman does, the woman doesn't have rights over her own body, but the man does, that's real. And Paul says, in order to avoid sexual temptation, don't deny it. Don't deprive one another. So let me just say, men and women are commanded not to deprive one another of sex. Don't use sex as a weapon to beat your husband with. Amen. And don't use verses like 1 Corinthians 7 as a, as a uh, tool to beat your wife with, right? Yeah. So when it says don't deprive one another, it's saying, husbands, don't deprive your wife of the emotional intimacy she needs in order to fulfill your sexual desires and wives don't deprive your husbands of the physical appetites that he has when it comes to the sexual desires that God has given to him. Yeah. I would say like the way this, I feel like breaks down a lot in the, in the talks that I have with people is that women seem to weaponize sex. Like if you do X, Y, Z, I'll give it to you. Which makes it transactional. Exactly. Like then she's even at that point subjugating her own way. She enjoys it because, because it becomes if you do this thing, I'll just I'll just lay here and you can do whatever. Oftentimes women weaponize it. Yep. And then men can oftentimes go the other way of, of tyrant, like where it's like, no, no, like don't treat her like a prostitute, where it's like it's it's seven thirty, this now it's time. Like right. and it's like, no, no, earn it, if that's the way I would say. I was also struck by like the idea of we've all heard the stare women are attracted to a man in uniform. Yep. And one of the reasons I think that is, is because what um, sex advice are you giving here, Pooty? <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was, oh, no, I'm just, I'm going, I'm just a, a uniform. A uniform denotes duty. Yes. And and like right. honor, duty, mission. Yeah. And I'll so be, yeah. to tie this to the last episode, when the man is doing the things that are honorable, dutiful, and leading in the in the mission, that's a natural aphrodisiac to your wife. Yeah. Because you know what? I've never had anybody come in and get counseling. I'm not attracted to my husband because he loves my kids amazingly. He's such <laughs> yeah. a good father. It doesn't make me want to like right. do him. And it's like, no, no, I've never, I've no one has ever said that. I've heard the opposite though. Yeah. Hundreds of times. Yeah. He's not present at the home. He's not doing this. He's always golfing. He's always, I rip on yeah. golf all the time. He's always just laying on the couch on Saturdays. Like I have to nag him to do anything. You know what that is? A couple that's probably not having a lot of sex. Absolutely. Like, I don't have counseling sessions with people who are like, oh, he's a great father. And he's so active. The only question I ever get about sex in those marriages is like, we, d- we don't seem to have enough time to do it. And it's like, we'll just make time. You know what I mean? Like wake up earlier. But it's like, it's, yeah, the it's kids more bang a, on the door too much. Like it, it's yeah. usually, it's usually like that's like, and then there's just like men be a little more yeah. like proactive about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's where I would come down on, on a lot of this is that at the end of the day, men need to be proactive and women are reactionary. And yeah. so... Well, and and I would just lead. say, like, not to be crass, but that design feature in sex that men ought to be proactive, that's woven into our very anatomy, right? Like, let's get real here for just a second. Like, men are to be firm, assertive, initiative. They go in, right? The wife is to be soft, to be receptive, to receive. What's beautiful about it is the idea that as men give, they receive, and as women receive, they give, right? And so there's this beautiful symmetry that that takes place in marriage. 
And let me encourage you to want to cultivate a healthy sex life. It's not just because of the, the physical benefits of sex, but here's what I would say. A man who is having frequent sex with a wife that he loves, covenantal sex frequently, is a man who is far more secure, far more assertive. Because this is what tends to happen. Husbands who feel sexually deprived, let me just bash on how you're responding to the feelings of being. So what happens is you might try to initiate sex and your wife's not into it for whatever reason. She's not responsive to you. And I'll talk to your wife in just a minute. So what happens is then you get discouraged because she doesn't respond or she says no or whatever. And then you get sheepish. You get sulky, like a wuss, like a girl, like a, you know what I mean? Like you, you get feminine all of a sudden and you surrender your masculinity and you give her the silent treatment and you sulk around the house and you think that that's somehow going to guilt her into having sex with you. That's horrible. Guilty sex is not good sex. So that's not the kind of sex that you're after anyway. So don't get sulky. Don't get assertive. Men are meant to be hunters. We're meant to take initiative. So the guy who goes out deer hunting and doesn't get a deer and comes into the home sulking and kind of like head drawn on the floor, fat lips, like out, like just pouting about things. Oh, I, I didn't get a deer today. Like, man, shut up and man up. Go try to get a deer again tomorrow, right? So if you didn't win your wife today, then think about how you're going to win her tomorrow. Now, let me talk to the wife because you are actually commanded, right? According to 1 Corinthians 7, where we're talking about, you are commanded to be sexually responsive to your husband. You are to cultivate the kind of warmth in response to his sexual advances. So you ought not to be cold. You ought not to deny him on a regular basis. You ought to cultivate the desire to respond favorably to him. Be a sexually inviting, a sexually warm wife. And so men, I just said like before, be flirty, be complimentary, vocalize your desire for your wife. And women fight for the ability to believe him, right? How many times have you as a wife, when he says, you look beautiful today, rolled your eyes and been like, oh, I need to lose 10 pounds. That's not what he said. He's not talking about you losing 10 pounds. He's trying to give you a compliment. Choose to believe it. Choose to receive it so that you can be sexually inviting to him, not sexually cold to him. Choose to believe your husband. I'm just going to go off on the culture for a second here. I get that we live in a culture that's putting Barbie women who have never had any kids who are, you know, 21 years old up on the billboards and using that as a measure for what attracts a man. Let me just speak to the wives and let me reassure you for a moment. First of all, husbands, if you are engaged in watching pornography with those kinds of women, you are sabotaging your sexual relationship and you are committing adultery on your wife. Fix it. Stop looking at pornography. It's emasculating you. It is turning you into an effeminate man, an entitled man, it's taking away your manhood. Stop it. Go get help. But women, let me just talk to you for a moment. A good and godly man who is not taken in by pornography, who is not watching pornography, he is wired by God to delight in you and in your body. And I get it. You might be 35, you might be 40 years old, and you might have had a couple kids, and your body looks like you've had a couple of kids. He is to delight in the body that has been fruitful for him, right? He is to delight in her. Proverbs says that men are to delight in the breasts of their wives. In Proverbs, it talks about like, don't go down to the harlot street. Don't even go past her. Don't do all this. And it says, draw water from your own cisterns. What's that saying? It's, it's saying, have frequent sex at home. Get filled up at home. Delight in your own wife. And the whole point there is that a good and a godly man delights in growing old with his wife. 
It's not like a 40-year-old man ought to be attracted to a 20-year-old girl because they're at different stages. He is to be attracted. The only way, here, I'll just say I'll just say it. The only way a 40-year-old man is attracted to a 20-year-old girl in a, in a sexual way, I'm not saying, oh yeah, she's a pretty girl. I'm saying the only way a 40-year-old man is attracted to a 20-year-old girl is when he's a married man, I would say. I would uh, caveat that, is if he's engaged in pornography. Because 20-year-old girls are the ones who are plastered all over pornography. A 40-year-old man who has a 40-year-old wife who has given him some children is wired by God to delight in the body of his wife. And so women, when he says, you look great in that dress, you look sexy to me, you turn me on, choose to believe it. Don't turn that around and say, oh, I need to lose five pounds. Oh, I need to do this. Don't do that. Be sexually warm to your husband's advances and choose to believe his advancement. I would say that's the women playing the insecure card. That's right. right. And like we want security in both parts. I'll tell you what does emasculate a man. If you if you try to pay a compliment and then get the compliment thrown back in your face, it never yeah. ends well. So like, just yeah, accept, you, just you accept look it. beautiful today, hun. Oh, you never say that. Wrong response, <laughs> right? Wrong response. Yeah. Like that might be true, and maybe address that with him at a different time. But when he's just done the thing that you're craving, acknowledge it and receive it. Exactly. I would also say like the way to cultivate you still finding your wife attractive at forty is frequent intercourse. Absolutely. Um, but also like one of the big dangers of, of pornography, one of the big dangers of magazines, all the, all the, like cu- our culture is that everybody who's famous, everybody who is in those videos is 20 to 25. I would like, or plastic surgery up sure. the wazoo to make them look like they still are. Exactly. Which means if that's the definition of what you find attractive, well, 25 year olds are going to look 25 when you're 40, 50, 60, 70. Your wife is not going to stay 25. That's just not something that's going to happen. So if you're using circumstantial things to find her beauty, you've missed the ship. What's the better story? My wife works out all the time and she looks like a 25-year-old and she's 40. High five the guys at the golf club. Or my wife, yeah, my wife has a couple curves that weren't there when she was 25, but she's born me four children. She's She's raised an unbelievable home. That's the better story. That's the woman that you should want to sleep with yes. because she's your wife. Like you should be almost the emotional side, even though it's a physical appetite, should actually deepen your physical appetite for her. Totally. And the thing is, is like, why is it that 40-year-old man is attracted to a 20-year-old girl? It's because that's what he's seeing. It's what he's seeing on billboards, yes. what he's seeing in movies, it's what he's seeing what you, on the pornography you, you watch. That, exactly. Right? Yeah. So like, so then w- women who are insecure about where they are, what better way to help your husband? And I've already talked to him about kicking his porn habit. So let's not talk about that anymore. Like he needs to get over that. But what better way to help him cultivate finding you and your body attractive than showing it to him in a sexy way. You know what I mean? Like what he sees and what arouses him are what will train his mind to find beauty as well. So be available to him. And I would just say like, what gives men the masculine energy to go out and be world changers, to be conquerors, to take dominion, frequent sex. It gives them confidence. It gives them security. It gives them strength. It gives them the assertiveness and the initiative to go out and conquer. What is it that makes women secure? What is it that makes them feel comforted? What makes them feel protected and cared for? 
frequent sex, it actually cultivates the very things that when we don't have them actually lead to a lack of sex. So the more frequently we have sex, the more frequently there is sex in marriage, the more the men feel like the guy who is ready to go and take dominion of the world around him. And the more the woman feels like the kind of secure, comforted, cared for, provided for woman who can cultivate life within the home. I was going to say, if you want your husband to be the kind of man who is able to take dominion out in the world, you have to let him take dominion in the house. And, and I know like that somebody's going to hear that and, 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 per, and pervert it into some rapey thing. We're not talking about <laughs> no, no. that. We're, we're no. talking about bringing about the flourishing within the home. But that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because man is not called to go and be domineering over the culture. To exactly. take dominion. We're not to, calling for tyrants to, anywhere. Yeah, that's like, right. To, even to be a husband. This is where we get the idea of husbandry, right? It's to bring about the flourishing. And so you're teaching him how to take godly, kind, cultivating dominion within the home, which then equips him to take dominion outside the home. Is there anything else we have to say on that? Well, we um, could talk about that for a long time. And I'm sorry if that got more explicit than any of you. But we I, have I, I, practical I, one, advice. One right? last little piece of practical advice. If you're a young woman looking for the kind of man that we're describing, if he has anything to do with pornography, he's not marryable. Get out of it. He's like, not marryable. Um, and I'm not, not saying, I'm not saying it has to be like a forever thing, but like maybe make him look it for a couple of years first. There will be hard times. And if he's prone to go to that, he's prone to go yeah. back to it. Women in that situation, you can't be the primary um, person to, to get him no. out of, to no, get him out him of that problem. Find a man who um, he can be accountable to. And I would just say to men who might have the false assumption that this lust, problem will get fixed if I have somebody to have sex with. That's not the way sin works, right? No. Circumstances pull out the sin that's already in our hearts, which means there's a lust issue in your heart and your lack of sex is just the circumstance that's pulling the lust out, right? And so getting married and being able to have sex with your wife is not going to kick your pornography habit. It's just not. The Holy Spirit has to do that and root that yeah. out of your heart prior to. So husbands and wives who might be sitting there going, man, that is not our relationship, right? That's not the sexual union. That's not the sexual relationship we have in our marriage right now. You know what the first thing is? Talk about it. Amen. Talk about it. Listen to this episode together and then talk about it. There's a great uh, episode. I think it's called The Sexually Inviting or The Sexually Warm Wife. Uh, it's a Bright Hearth podcast episode. There's also in season two of Bright Hearth. It's a great marriage podcast by Brian Sauvey and his wife, Lizzie, uh, Lexi, sorry. In season two, Maybe it's season one, actually. It might be season one. They go through each room in the house, so to speak, in terms of talking about, like, what does marriage look like in the living room? What does it look like in the kitchen? What does it look like? And they just kind of go through what are the roles? What is this for? All that kind of stuff. And their episode on the bedroom there is, is also very good. So listen to that together and then talk about it. Like, too many couples, they get ashamed of this, silent treatments, all that kind of stuff. Talk about sex. If you've had a couple years of bad sexual habits in your relationship, listen to a podcast like this. Go listen to Bright Hearth. Talk about it. And then cultivate good habits, right? After you have sex, talk about it. What was good? What, what wasn't good? What do you like? What don't you like? Like these are good conversations that husbands and wives ought to be having. And let me tell you this. It is more eternally fruitful than scrolling Instagram or watching reruns on Netflix. And it's way more, exactly, I was going to say, it's way more fun than turning on Netflix at night. Absolutely. Like, amen. Go cultivate good sexual relationships in marriage. Do it lots. 